Facebook kind of realized like these guys are unique and we were just hustling and working all the time. And next thing you know, Major League Baseball called us. We had a meeting, went through the whole meeting and they were like, well, we don't outsource anything. And I'm like, oh, let me tell you as a fan what I think you should do. And we gave this whole pitch. And at the end, like, fine, you know, we'll, we'll use you guys. Nice. And then they're like, you're based in New York, right? And we like looked up and I'm like, and my business partner was about to talk and say, no, we're in Hamden, Connecticut. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, of course we're in New York. And he's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So like, let's get the contract done. In a couple of weeks, we'll go to your office and figure this out. And I remember taking the train back to Connecticut being like, shit, 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 shit. We just told these people we're in New York. Welcome to Wave Social Podcast, powered by Arcade Studios. My name's Mike. I'm here with my co-host, Mitzi, and we've curated a show for digital marketers, advertisers, and modern entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide and start making waves online. Each episode, we'll sit down with the tastemakers and strategic minds behind some of the most engaged communities and up-and-coming brands. We'll pull back the curtain on their strategies and experiences to uncover the methodology behind their seismic impact. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Okay, today on the show, we have Mike Germano, now president of Communo. Previously, though, he was the chief digital officer at Vice Media. While at Vice, Mike led the Global Digital Services Division and spearheaded Vice's commercial initiatives for cannabis and blockchain partnerships, which is really beyond my scope of understanding. <laughs> Prior to Vice, Mike founded the Global Digital Agency, which he referred to as the first ever social media agency called Carrot Creative that launched innovative campaigns and products for the world's biggest brands, including Netflix, Disney, Chipotle, Target, and of course, Red Bull. <laughs> and other notable accomplishments, Mike was one of the youngest elected officials ever in the US. He's been a social media advisor to the NFL, co-founded the global event series Digital Dumbo, and is an angel investor in numerous startups, including his favorite local pizza joint. Yes, he's also a investor in Away, which he talks about a little bit, which is founded by Jen Rubio, who I'm a big fan of. Yeah, she's a boss. <laughs> we fangirl over her a little bit. But an interesting thing about that is he actually, Jen was an employee of his, and she went on to start this massive luggage company, Away. And Mike walks us through how he kind of built a culture at Carrot where he celebrated the departure of his employees. Not that he was happy they were leaving, but he wanted to leave them with like a positive note and really tell them that like he's proud of them. And because he's built that culture, people who, you know, were moving on to different positions, it just like kind of changed the way that they look at their employees and their relationships with employees. And that's something that I've been thinking about a lot since we've talked yeah. to Mike. Yeah. And it didn't start that way. No. You know, like he talked about how in the first couple of years of his agency, he'd take it really personally whenever someone left because he yeah. really tried to make it like a family. Mm -hmm. So it felt like someone was leaving the family. But as he says, he quickly realized that that was creating a negative culture in their mm -hmm. business and also even turning away potential talent because they didn't want to work in an environment like that. Right. So it's cool to, as we chat with him on the show, just to hear kind of that evolution and the change of his perspective mm -hmm. to make it what it was. Yeah. They even went so far as to retire people's numbers. Like everyone who worked at the agency got like a number. They were employee number like 15 or whatever. And when they'd leave, they'd retire certain numbers and like hang a jersey in the rafters, which I thought was such a yeah, sweet idea. That's so cool. It's awesome. Yeah. And then another one of his employees actually went on and co-founded Venmo, which is right crazy yeah so there's some big companies that have come out of that mm -hmm. space yeah but wow. i think that's just a testimony to how what a leader that mike was and owning such like awesome talent and he also talks about how he tried to hire people who had like an entrepreneurial mindset mm -hmm. too and people who were creative and thought outside of the box and when you hire people like that they do their you know amazing work in an agency setting but they're also probably like have ambitions of their own so it's not surprising that they go off to do really cool things yeah, it's so interesting just how important it is to hire the right people, oh, not just talent to fill blanks, you yeah. know? And we found that too with our agency is mm -hmm. just needing to really have the perfect fit mm -hmm. and not just someone who can get the job done, but someone who fits into the culture and the team and kind of has the same posture as us, Yeah, you know? and It's uh, everything. Yeah, it's made a huge difference as we yeah. were able to handpick who's in the room. Yeah, totally. For sure. So Mike built Carrot 
And uh, he got to work with some incredible brands, as we mentioned. One of the ones that he really kind of vibed on was uh, MLB and being able to work with the Yankees, Mm -hmm. being a New York boy. Mm -hmm. And uh, how it just felt like he came full circle to be able to Mm -hmm. work with one of his favorite teams. Yeah. And uh, that's that's just so exciting to think about, you know. I feel like it'd be so fun to to get to that point where you can just actually be working with the brands that you've always admired Mm -hmm. growing up. Yeah, he talked about how he got to design the Yankees stadium tickets, which brought memories back to him of when he was a kid and he'd go to the Yankees games and have those ticket stubs hanging in his room. And now he got the chance to do that for someone else. That was really cool. Yeah. And then they just made waves and Mm -hmm. then ended up getting acquired by Vice to be Vice's social media agency. And he describes that transition and even what it looked like to kind of maintain a a unique culture, even Mm -hmm. though you're being absorbed into this bigger, faster moving body, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's cool insight in that sense too, because anyone who's building a business or specifically an agency, you know, you got to kind of think about the exit plan. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it was less an exit and more of a amalgamation Mm -hmm. or a merger, but it was like a growth strategy for him because he had other options, you know, but Mm -hmm. he was strategic and, and picked vice as a partner because they wanted to really adopt their whole team instead of just components and parts of it. So yeah. I thought that was cool, a cool move for him. Yeah, definitely. So needless to say, there's just a lot of good stuff mm-hmm. in this in this episode. And I don't think we really need to spend any more time before we just dive into it because it's going to be fire. It's a, it's a good one. Are you ready? Let's do it. Well, Mike, thanks for being on the show with us today. This is exciting. One way that we just like to dive in every time we have a a guest with us is to start by your career trajectory and how you got where you are today. So I know there's a lot of details that go into that, (laughs) but give us kind of like the bird's eye view. Sounds great. Well, first, thank you for having me here. Very excited to be here in Calgary and be on kind of the initial first season. So Mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear about it in season number 22, but excited (laughs) to be part of season one. There you go. And speaking of kind of starting things from the beginning... I was fortunate enough to start the first social media agency. It was called Care Creative. We've said it was the first social media agency since we started in 2005. No one has ever called us on that. Um, so <laughs> nice. we're going to still keep doing that. Nice. Uh, like it. it really started, as you kind of stressed in some of your early podcasts about community. Kid I met in high school, loved Star Wars, loved building websites. I secretly did too. It wasn't cool to build websites in high school. Him and I just kind of met. He moved into our town. We got along. And really, we started building community sites. This was before the social networks were out. So uh, I remember we built a website for Dave Matthews Band. And uh, once again, building websites in high school is not fun. Mm. But uh, we built a website for Dave Matthews Band. We had all these members. The lawyers say, we're going to shut you down. (laughs) And we're like, we're not even 18 yet, but this is a little nerve wracking. And what ended up happening was we wrote back saying we weren't going to. We said to all of our members, hey, this is what's happening. And it turns out that someone very close to Dave Matthews and his family was like, we love this site. How could you shut this down? Next thing you know, it went from like lawyers threatening us to them apologizing and starting a relationship. And next thing you know, we're getting like backstage tickets, you know, to see the concerts. That is cool, right? And so it really kind of showed, well. yeah, showed the power community. So we were always building community sites through high school. Went to uh, My partner and I went to different colleges. We went to Rochester Institute of Technology, which is a really great school for tech and met unbelievable talent. I went to Quinnipiac University, which was not good at all those. <laughs> at, at all those Where years, is that? That's in, uh, it's about 10 minutes away from Yale in Connecticut. Okay. But it was a really unique school. It was a different school. It actually taught you more about being entrepreneurial. So I had a great entrepreneur professor. Nice. So it was really stressed about how to build a business and how to get to know people. And really what it came down to is as we were about to graduate college, Facebook came out. And I was fortunate enough to take a class at Yale. And Yale was one of the first schools to get Facebook. And we had always been just building websites to pay our way through college. And the second I saw Facebook, I fell in love with it. And this was only a couple of colleges at the time. The Ivy Leagues had it. And we were just starting to email like crazy this guy named Mark Zuckerberg to ask that he could please start Facebook at our college, even though we weren't an Ivy League school. We were really close to one. Yeah. And I I just very vividly remember looking at this and thinking the linking side and MySpace didn't have it. I'm like, this is going to be, this is it. This is the future. And called up my buddy, Chris, who we've been building websites that we, we got to start a company there with this. We, we got to do this. We got to build something to take advantage of this. this is what we've always done. Why would we ever want to work for anybody else? So we got really excited. And um, what I ended up doing was my senior year, I made the company. I told my school I need, still need an internship. So I said, I'm going to intern with this company, Carrot, which wasn't real. And wow. he said, I'm going to intern and do a brand design for this company, Carrot. 
which wasn't real. And <laughs> I was his boss and he was my boss. And wow. we had a, you know, we had a URL. So we both faked our internship, but the truth was we worked so hard. So it wasn't like we were faking it not to do something. We tried to start a business. Yeah. He gave me a B plus, which was kind of a jerk move. I think that was, uh, he said I didn't sell enough, but we didn't really have anything. So the company was, we joked that we were both interns for each other, uh, started the company Carrot. And, you know, when you start a company, we started in a basement of our house in Hamden, Connecticut, which is not a big city. And no one really wanted to hear talk about in 2005 about social media, mm. you know, which we called Web 2.0 or community websites. You, you couldn't really get anyone. And also your youth, unfortunately, which is rightfully so to a certain extent, they don't think it's valuable. Right. Mm. Right. So they're like, you don't know what you're doing. Why, why should we listen to you? Mm-hmm. So we end up having just to feed ourselves, have a bunch of make some websites for doctors and, you know, occasional local folks. Stuff you didn't really want to do. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. But in the beginning, especially when you get your first client, mm-hmm. you're so thankful that someone has trusted you with work. Mm-hmm. Totally. So you're going, oh my. and you put so much time and effort, you go way overboard because this person has trusted you with their business and you don't want to let them down. And especially when you start your own business, you know how hard it is. For sure. And every dollar you spend with someone. So what ended up being unique was I had run for public office and used social media to get elected. Mm-hmm. That really kind of a unique part of it. But this was before or after you started Carrot? We started Carrot in 2005 and that 2005 election year when I was graduating college, I ran for public office. So basically office. at the same time, you're getting yes. this agency off the ground, but you're like, screw it, I'm also going to run for yeah, office. I'm graduating college. Why not? Right. <laughs> you're also poor and dumb. And yeah. so it's like, it's a great time to just, you know, like kind of go on. Totally. And so instead of like partying, like I was trying to start a business. Um, nice. So instead of like, you know, going on spring break or, you know, backpacking through Europe, like all the other kids after graduation, we were trying to start a business. And the nice thing was when I actually used Facebook, MySpace to run for office it was the first U.S. politician to use social media to get elected to office, that really set a whole different tone for our agency because it was a part-time city councilman role. Mm-hmm. But I had beat a gentleman who was elected before I was born wow. in a primary Crazy. and then went on to win. So no one really cared if you were local and saying like, I can help social media for your local flower shop. All of a sudden you're like, you know, politics is changing. And, you know, the same mm-hmm. thing as Pepsi versus Coke is, is, is the same as Republican versus Democrat. And I'll tell you, this campaigning can really happen on social. And that's mm-hmm. where we, we identified users. And back Facebook day, I could type in addresses and see if someone lived there. We just built a script that found all the addresses in our district, ran through Facebook and saw if they were on Facebook or not and just messaged all of them. Wow. So it's like real early days. Wild, wild west. There used to be the Facebook wall. I don't yes. remember this, yeah. where you yeah. actually erase what everyone else said. Right. Oh my god. So goodness. that was always a fun, that was always, so it's just this like fun time in, in Facebook world. So it had served public office. Campaigning's fun. Serving sucks. Um, <laughs> I only lasted one term. And at the same time, the Carrot Web Design, which was originally what it was called, was growing. And that was exciting. And, you know, we all of a sudden got a little bit of credibility. And because I, was, I got elected public office, someone asked us to go speak at a conference. And the conference was on blogs. <laughs> and I remember I didn't really know a lot about blogs or cared about blogs. I was so hell-bent thinking that social is the absolute future. And I promised them that I would go out to the conference and speak about blogs. And I know I was never going to speak about blogs. I just knew I was not going to do that. I was just going to only talk about social. So everyone gets up there and they talk about the future of blogs. It's called like Chicago Web Social. And I just went up there and said, hey, guys, blogs are not the future. Social is the future. And I just went in on it. And back then I was like, and there's a video of me talking about where Facebook would be, these other niche social networks. And I said, Facebook is the absolute future. It's what it's going to be. And people are like, it's only for college kids. And I'm just like, this is it. This is what it's going to be. And I just made a hard stance. And if you're asking for something for your viewers, if you actually do believe in something, make that hard stance, make that future prediction. I guarantee you that that's what people remember. Mm -hmm. I probably upset 75% of the people in the room, but 25% remember me. And within the next couple of six months, everything we said was happening. Facebook then started opening up to the public and we were getting phone calls. People like, hey, I heard you speak at this thing. And, you know, you said Facebook was it and said blogs. And we started, you know, just kind of getting really good inbound for that. We kept growing. We And unfortunately, we started with no money. We had $800 when we started our company. And once we started in basement, built up enough to kind of get a small dingy office. Um, Where was your first office? It was in Hamden, Connecticut, across the street from a graveyard and a gas station. Nice. So all my conference calls were in a graveyard and nothing is more motivating than taking your conference calls in a graveyard, right? You're like, if <laughs> I do this, we're going to die, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. So look, I, I loved it. And the nice thing was not having money was good because it made you be resourceful, made yeah. you appreciate yeah. things. But once again, the nice thing was, was Facebook was coming out was we were building more custom social networks at the time. So these were like larger builds. And what ended up happening is the Facebook app platform came out and the Facebook folks just kind of knew us as these guys were building this 
these kind of custom for brand side. And all of our friends were building startups. No one was thinking, how could I help a brand build Hmm. on social? Hmm. They were all trying to raise money and build the next thing before Twitter, whatever they want to call it, right? And we were so hell-bent on trying to help brands and make consumer-facing stuff. So the app platform launched and we experimented. We built the first lottery on Facebook. It was called the Lotto. So you could get a daily scratch-off ticket and win money. It got shut down by Facebook because there was no sweepstakes laws at the time for Facebook. And we fought with them and got back on. Facebook kind of realized like these guys are unique and we were just hustling and working all the time. And next thing you know, Major League Baseball called us. We had a meeting, went through the whole meeting and they were like, well, we don't outsource anything. And I'm like, oh, let me tell you as a fan what I think you should do. And we get this whole pitch. And at the end, like, fine, you know, we'll, we'll use you guys. Nice. And then they're like, you're based in New York, right? And we like looked up and I'm like, and my business partner's about to talk and say, no, we're in Hamden, Connecticut. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, of course we're in New York. He's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So like, let's get the contract done in a couple of weeks. We'll go to your office and figure this out. And I remember taking the train back to Connecticut being like, shit, 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 shit. We just told these people we're in New York. Yeah. So we then immediately, the next day, went back down to New York. I found uh, an office to um, sublet, but nice. I thought all the people in New York like got up really early. So I got down there at like 7.30 and I it took I had to like wake up at four to get on a train or something. And I ended up falling asleep outside this woman's office and like kind of drooling. And she's like waking me up like, can I help you? I'm like, yes, I need to sublet your office, you know? And it was a pretty great moment. This woman, I think, saw that we had a, when you start a business, the nice thing is, your survival is going to be based on other business people kind of giving you a hand. Mm -hmm. And not only should you really appreciate that, but you need to remember it Mm -hmm. and you need to make sure that you do that as well. So this woman was amazing. She saw the passion we had. She goes, she probably knew that we didn't have enough money to afford this. And she goes, okay, don't worry about deposit. You can just pay us first month rent and um, you want all the tables and chairs and everything you can have it. And I don't think we would have been able to make it if we didn't have that. That's amazing. And it was a great moment for us. So we said, yes, I think we could only afford two months. So we had to make this thing work. We had to sign that deal with MLB. And then we just kind of picked up everything and moved down to uh, New York. My girlfriend at the time, uh, who's now my wife, God bless her, because I had four people were then sleeping on the floor of that one bedroom apartment that she had. Wow. And we just tried to make it work and worked every day and got ready for Major League Baseball to come in and show them the mocks and show them everything we're doing. And they're like, oh, kind of a small office here. We're like, yeah, okay, well, we're moving soon, so don't worry about it. And, you know, going back to, I think you said earlier, you said fake it till you make it. And yeah. it sounds bad. It sounds like you're lying when you say fake it till you make it. And I've said that my whole life. It's just like future predicting, like, you know, you're going to be there. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you. And if you actually pull it off, then you weren't lying. You weren't right. joking. You weren't faking it. Like you like, mm-hmm. this is where we're going to get to. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we were fortunate that that was our whole life. And we built a home at Carrot. I think what we were great for is we built a home for Carrot for people who want to experiment. A little bit of misfit toys. It was also the time where a lot of startups were failing and there was developers who would work on these startups for really no money and like, you know, fake stock and that would hurt. Mm-hmm. And we would, you know, we could actually say, hey, look, how about you work on stuff that people will enjoy and people will work on and see? I know a startup sounds alluring, but like, don't you want to learn and maybe get some scale? Like this app we're building for Target is going to have a quarter million people interacting with it. That's going to teach you more than spending six months on a startup where no one actually uses it. Right. So we kind of really built a great place for people to want to work, which was good for us. That's great. So at this time, how many people did you have working for you? So it took us about two years to get to eight people. Okay. Wow. And now, you know, it seems so little, mm-hmm. you know, but you realize that every, especially when you first start, every single hire you make is, you know, that's a, that's a huge investment that you made into someone or something. And, and we were purely project-based and it was a lot more development design. Right at the time. And that was kind of when the app market was big. And and you'll see, and you talk about waves and I, and I understand the point of the podcast is like, how can you have something that's more consistent than riding the tide? Well, we just started kind of hitting it. And then 2008 hits and the recession hits. Mm. Right. And the nice thing about social was honestly, everyone else panicked. Mm-hmm. Budgets were cut everywhere, traditional budgets. Mm-hmm. And so people had a lot less money to spend and they figured I'd rather experiment a little bit with social then have to, you know, my TV budget got cut by 10 million. I'd rather put 500,000 social and figure that out. And so we were actually in a really great position. And then all of our friends who were working at high paying bank development jobs all got laid off. And, right. and all of a sudden, you know, this kind of became a unique thing to have. And we didn't have any money to begin with. We were pretty much working, putting every penny back in the company. So we were poor and all of our friends were poor too, because they all lost their jobs. Right. So it was great. <laughs> um, you know, all on the same page. Yeah. So we're yeah. like, oh, it's perfect. So we, you know, we continued to grow. And then luckily for us, it started to happen where people start going, well, what do we do with social? Right. And that was so inherent to us. It was like, of course, this is why you communicate this. And you just thought that these companies would know that. Now, I know it's a lot different. We're talking about 2009 mm-hmm. than where we are now. But the beautiful thing was social was so new that people didn't know who to go to. 
So they went right. to the youngest person in the company and said, okay, so what do we do with social? How do we do this? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't know, but my friends are at this, they go to this thing and this thing carrot, there's a bunch of people there. And so the nice thing was we got introductions to some of the biggest companies in the world. Nice. And more importantly, our age wasn't a coupon. It was actually an advantage. Yeah. They weren't trying to Flip discount us. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if we were 10 years older, it wouldn't have worked for us. Right. We were young. We just knew it inherently was in our bones. We practiced every part of it, mm-hmm. right? Everything that we did, we worked on. Once again, we didn't have any money to go kind of like do normal things after work, you know? <laughs> so we just were always on social and always working on it and always kind of, you know, trying to embrace the entire industry. So we were very fortunate that these brands kind of brought us in that not only were we doing social, but they're like, well, how do we act on it? Right. So then all of a sudden we had to really build up the marketing part of our business, which was what kind of content are we putting up there? So we started, you know, building that team up. And then, of course, you know, realizing you have to have account people. Mm-hmm. We thought it was an advantage not to have account people. Like account people waste money and time. And then, of course, our client's like, you're an idiot. Like we want someone there. I'm like, okay. And once again, this the other problem is you're bootstrapping this whole thing. And New York is not a cheap city. Definitely. So, you know, you're getting up to a burn rate, you know, every now and then $100,000 a month, $200,000 a month, $300,000 a month. And you have to be able to sell that, right? And every hire you make, you know, sometimes you make a bad hire and that really kind of sets you back. So... We built a really good cult following. People looking back at it might say like, oh, it was, you know, too fratty or whatnot. But that was family. Right. It, was, it was great. A lot of people kind of proud looking back at it. There's like numerous people who've gotten married who've worked at the company and people who stayed together at other companies. And they even have like an alumni page. I don't even run the people who used to work there. That And the other thing is people launched companies out of there. So yeah. Venmo was started. And we're in Canada. Cool. People don't use Venmo mm-hmm. as much. But the CTO of Venmo was mm-hmm. at Carrot. Their new project, Ents which is uh, from one of the founders of Venmo. He, it's an audio thing. Maybe we should check you guys out on it. They brought up how if it wasn't for Carrot, Venmo would never have been started. Wow. So like all the code was really released there. And he was an employee where I was like, this is awesome. You should go do that instead of what you're doing with us. Cool. Uh, so work three days a week with us in four days. And so we also became a home for startups. That nice. also gave us a lot more credibility, I think, on the development side. On the agency side, we were doing good work, winning awards. That was growing. We continued to grow, continued to grow. I'm trying to think at what point we can talk about then the acquisition part. I want to, before we get yeah, into we that there. part, I do want to ask you about what you mentioned about like building culture, like, and being a place kind of like a hub for these, you know, high potential future founders. And another one of those that we did a bit of research on was Jen Rubio yep. from Away. Yep. Um, Absolutely. How did you create that kind of culture? Like any tips that you can offer sure. to create that culture within your company? When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Culture is by far the most important, right? Mm -hmm. People sometimes mistake and call it community. Or they think sometimes that culture is community. Community is a group of people in a a room that work for the same company. That's community. That's kind of easy. Culture is really what do you stand for that you actually don't even have to tell people about? Hmm. What is so inherent to the company that everyone knows going in that this is what is valued? Cool. What was valued for us was an entrepreneurial spirit was excitement and willing to try new things and helping other people. One of the things I took the most pride in, it sounds silly, but when Sandy hit New York, a lot of people were flooded out of their apartments. There was a lot of damage. People couldn't take trains. Our company didn't miss like two days of work, I felt like. I felt that everyone shacked up with someone else. And my wife and I, at that time we were married, lived across the street and people would just stop by and have to take showers there because they had no running water at their apartment. So like all day, it was just people randomly coming to take showers at your apartment. You'd give them the key, you know, to wow. walk in and use it. it was, your room was being used as a conference room and other companies that where their offices were closed down, we'd let them use, you know, our office. So we kind cool. of were a home in for these people. It was just such an obvious thing for us. Mm. And other companies were like, wow, no one else would do that. And it was just mm. obvious to who we were. And, and that was the part that was respected. So the nice thing was, entrepreneurs saw this and they were like, maybe I'm not ready to take the first step to be an entrepreneur, but I want to be surrounded by these people. Hmm. And better yet, when your company's responsibility is to help other brands be innovative and find a possible solution, it was almost a great minor leagues, if you will, for entrepreneurs. So Jen Rubio, who 
went on to go make a way. You know, she worked for us. I, I loved her as an employee. I thought she was great. I thought she had passion, knew exactly what she was talking about. It was great. Maybe not the best person for clients. I think sometimes I'm like, why does she think she knows so much? I'm like, well, because she does and she's going to build something great. So um, <laughs> it was fun that she got to see some of the biggest brands and and she was, you know, very talented before that. She had done a great job building community and, and you know, when she left Carrot. And the nice thing was we had such a close relationship. I had the ability to invest in the company. Mm-hmm. And of course, I took a tremendous amount of pride in that. They're doing great things and she's doing uh, wonderful, which is exciting. You know, we've had a gentleman named Matt Bond who's built an app called Treble, which helps connect artists and build community. You know, that's someone who worked for us. And then the other funny thing is we had a lot of uh, CEOs and founders that are, I don't want to say their names, that are very established that want their kids to come work at Carrot. Wow. So all of a sudden this became a home for people who were then actually probably going to take over companies. Cool. It was the best thing for us. It's what made us different. It's what has given me now all the value after the fact. So after the agency is done, the ROI, and I don't look at it that way, has come from really building a home where those people felt that they could kind of do great things. So that's your perspective now as mm-hmm. a young founder when that started happening, like the first couple startups kind of launched out of Carrot. How did that feel? Like, were you worried about it? Like losing talent? Sure. So this is my viewpoint on talent. In the beginning, I remember we lost someone and I got like really mad. I think mm-hmm. I like, they had like a stuffed animal. Like I tore off the head and put it on a stick and like was like, if you leave us. And because you take it as a personal thing. Yeah. Right. Someone leaves your company. That's you. You've done something wrong. Especially in an personal. environment where you're like, this is family. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And no one understands you as a founder. You're giving so much. You're yeah. giving everything and then some. Mm-hmm. Right. And when they leave, it feels like a breakup. And then I remember it was a couple months later, one of my top people who I'd really helped grow left. Not only did they leave, they like gave me like a two-day heads up. They're like, oh, Mike, by the way, I'm leaving. And I was like, when I was like away and they're on the phone, like, oh, I got another job. I got to go. And I was like, wow, that's so disrespectful. And I look back at it and I took a moment to think, why would that happen? And I realized because they would feel fearful talking to me about it. And I had created an environment where that was a negative leaving. And I said, well, I can't have that happen because it actually became a nightmare for me to try to restaff it. Mm-hmm. So I said, how do I reverse it? And so I think, well, let me just actually get really excited about when you do leave. Hmm. So I then changed my entire thought process around it, which was, I would almost say, I only want you to be here at CARE for a couple of years. I want you at your best. And then I want you to go somewhere else so you can do great things. And there's going to be different things you're going to want out of life. So I don't want you to be here forever. And all of a sudden I'm like, and I can't wait for you to tell me where you go. And all of a sudden people are like, what the? That's weird. And it ended up when Andrew Cortina, our CTO, went to go launched Venmo full-time, uh, last minute thing, I said, you know what? This guy's great. And I was always big in employee numbers. So when you came in, I was like, you're number seven. How cool is that? And he was employee number seven. And we retired his number. So it was just like a last oh, minute thing. We cool. retired his number and we like held it up in the rafters and was like, yeah, you know, I think I actually used ethernet cable to like pull it up. And it was like a <laughs> cool little thing. And everyone's like, that's neat. Yeah. I remember someone going, I hope my number gets retired. I was like, uh-huh, perfect. And so what ended up happening is our turnover rate, not only did it massively drop, but I would get on average like a two months heads up if someone wanted to leave. Hmm. And I'd actually help them negotiate a better price with the person that they were with. Wow. They're like, okay, I want to do this. This is an opportunity. One of our first female employees that worked for us, we had Burton as a client and she loved snowboarding. She's like, I would love to work for them someday. And I remember talking to them being like, hey, so you're going to work with us for about a year or two and then you're going to hire Caitlin because she's great. And that's what happened. And it was such a proud moment for us that, you know, when she went to go work there, it wasn't like, oh, you know, you left us. Mm. And that is the biggest thing that's ever changed my business that if I could offer any recommendations, especially for the young people who are starting businesses, don't take it personal, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to say. And I know you're going to invest so much in these people, but the truth is these young people are now going on to other companies and they are your biggest advocate. And the truth is if you make a great place, nothing else will be better than that. So they'll know pretty quickly. They'll sit there and be like, Oh, this is nothing like my other job, right. you know, like, right. and so we had all these people say, you know, I really miss Carrot. And so now it's great because even now they said nothing else, you know, was like it or they would introduce us to new clients, new brands. It was the biggest growth that we ever had. And the big thing was the re- number of retirement thing might sound silly, but what it did was it forced people, if they were going to leave, to give us tons of heads up, mm-hmm. leave in a very positive way right? and find their replacement. So wow. everyone would have to find like their replacement. If, and so we ended up retiring like nine or 10 people in the company. It was like, and, and when you walked in my company, that was the first thing you saw was the people who used to work at our company. That's like a crazy thing to think of. Like, yeah. And I would give a tour, be like, these are the people who used to work here. They got their number retired. I'm like, wait, well, never, no one ever talks about that. Yeah. Right. That's crazy. 
That's so was so this cool. perspective shift literally just an epiphany you had or yep. did you have like a coach or I was in Buffalo, mentor? New York. Crazy. I was in Buffalo, New York having to present to the Buffalo Bills because we, uh, going back to making bold statements, I'd warned the NFL that social media would be a problem for them. And they were like, <laughs> uh, our players aren't nerds like you guys. You're stupid. I'm like, okay. And then next year I was like, it's gonna be a problem. They're like, no, it's not. And then Chad Johnson got on Twitter and they call us up like, what's going on? I'm like, I told you. Yeah. So we wrote like the social media rules for the NFL and I had to go present them. And I was in Buffalo, New York. I'll never forget it. And once again, this this person was an early employee that we had. It was great. And we, I gave him so much responsibility. We launched like the first Ford Explorer was the first car to launch on social. We did that. Wow. You know, I'm like, this mm. kid was the one who, who ran it all. And I remember getting that phone call. And I'm like, how could he leave? What am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't what he was doing wrong because I was like, this is someone who I really care about. I've done something wrong. I need to look at my perspective. Mm. And that was just, I remember being in Buffalo, New York walking out of that meeting like literally staring at the stadium an empty stadium Hmm. you know and just being like i gotta change my my point of view Mm -hmm. and that's what we did and it ended up being the best thing we ever did it's awesome that's so cool i think that's a great example a lot of ownership yeah for young agencies out there definitely um you mentioned a couple clients that you've worked with like mlb and uh, buffalo bills If you're a podcast host or someone wanting to be interviewed on podcasts as a guest, visit podmatch.com. Podmatch automatically connects ideal podcast guests and hosts together for interviews. We always say it works just like a dating app, but instead of connecting you for dates, it connects you for podcast interviews. Podmatch has connected over 85,000 guests and hosts together for interviews that listeners love, all while saving you countless hours of administrative work through built-in automations. If you're ready to level up your podcast interviews on either side of the mic, start today by visiting podmatch.com. I love the Buffalo Bills, but not, and that wouldn't be the second one I would lead into. But yes, 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 yes. maybe that's gotcha. my, just, uh, uh, maybe my that own just came up to your Burton, forefront Burton of your snowboards. mind because you're such a big NFL. I fan. love the NFL. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> but what was your first big fish? So MLB was really our first big fish. First big AOR that we ever got was Jaguar. So doing the, all the social cool. media for Jaguar, and that was we pitched that the day before my wedding. Wow. And all my entire company was coming to the wedding. So we were, we literally just like packed up a car with like the stuff we were then going to go to New Jersey for a wedding and pitched. And we, and you know, they were like, well, do you really want this? And I'm like, I'm getting married in 28 hours. You know, like <laughs> this is what we're, you know, so it was kind of fun. I think that helped us. Uh, that was the first big AOR pitch was Jaguar. Every year, what we did was I made all the employees write down three brands they want to work with every year. Nice. So write down three brands, give me the cards. And only I saw them and I would look through them. And I would try to get those brands. At the end of every year, we would then present to everyone. I did this on the first day of our company. I wrote down Rolex, Red Bull, New York Yankees. And everyone wrote down different brands. And every year, I would be held accountable. I'd have a big chart. We'd stop work. And I'd say, I'd put the cards up and say, this is what we have. And the new people would be like, what is this? Right. And then by the next year, they would get really excited. So they would kind of visualize the brand that they want to work on. Amazing. We put a check mark of where we were. And it sounds silly, but it really drove us to know what type of company we wanted to be and what type of brands we wanted. Did you find there was a lot of overlap between what people were writing down? So like a million people put Netflix. Right. Cool. We got Netflix. Yeah. We got Adidas. We got Rolex. We got Red Bull. Mm -hmm. We got Ford. Checking them off. Right. That's awesome. We got got the ones that we wanted to get. How'd you get them? Yeah. How did did you you get Netflix? Did you just know the right people? So... Did you do spec work? Sure. I think this is an important part of this. I think it's a part in a level set with some folks. Mm-hmm. We were very fortunate that we were first. Right. I would love to say I'm the best agency owner or I'm the smartest. I'm not. We were first and we were really, we knew where the market was going and we were maybe probably too young to re- like, if we were older, we would be like, well, we can't say this publicly like this. We were just <laughs> hell bent on like, this is where it's going. So we were very fortunate to have first mover advantage on a lot of things. Now, did we run the best agency in terms of efficiencies? No. I mean, I put all the money back into the company. We ran hard. We did probably put more value into the work that we were probably paid for, but that was okay. We were really excited about doing the work. Hmm. We got well known because we just continued to do good work and there wasn't a lot of vendors out there. So the large holding companies, Mm -hmm. you know, they were trying to do this and they were just, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of failing or wasn't really organic. And they were, you know, the ones trying to explain to a client what social was, yet they weren't even on (laughs) <laughs> the social, you know, social networks. So they're they like, weren't using it. This is how Facebook mm-hmm. works. And they're like, do you have a Facebook page? Like, no. Right. So, and we got a bunch of high end brands, which were good. So then everyone else, like our credibility was never kind of questioned. Right. Okay. Cool. So Buffalo Bills were not your favorite client. They, look, the NFL <laughs> was 
that was more of a strat like we never did development work that was more of like a strategy that was a great yeah. presenting nice um being a computer nerd that it was having to go present in front of all the nfl teams is pretty scary yeah, yeah. and uh when i wore a suit they all made fun of me but then the nfl then gave me like this nfl polo so they all thought i was with the nfl like okay well we can't like really give this guy crap uh and then i ended up becoming like friends with a bunch of nfl players who like text me because i had my phone number and they're like uh my twitter account got hacked i'm like did it and they're like no i sent some bad pictures like okay let's let's clean this up right so um it was oddly enough end up having a bunch of nfl friends so i joked that i was on my high school football team i was the worst player and yet i'm the only one who ever got paid by the nfl so looking back at it there you go nice i like it so uh what were a couple of your favorites when you're at carrot sure i mean i think the biggest one was that i grew up in new york my whole life i'm a diehard yankee fan and we won the new york yankees i took so much pride in that if you look back at it i think it's especially for agency owners, you're always going to be running, you're always going to be rushing. You know, you got to take that step back every now and then look at this mental moment of like, wow, this is something special. And one of it was when we won the Yankees, they go, hey, do you do ticket design? And we're a digital agency and social agency. And all throughout the years, we did the Dave Matthews tickets. We never got paid for it. We just did it because out of love. My business partner, Chris Patesh, was extremely talented. He was the one who always did it. And it was a great moment for me because I got to look at these people. I won the, the job I've always wanted. Mm-hmm. And they said, do you want to do a ticket? The thing I knew kids thousands of kids every year would hold in their hand and pin up like I did. Right. Right. And would be not just social, be physical. Mm-hmm. And I go look at them and I go, well, yeah, I go, we do the tickets for Dave Matthews band. They go, okay, that's great. And we rolled on. I was like, wow. The thing that like, if you were a normal business, you'd be like, we're not going to do this for free. Right. Dave Math-. But we did it because we loved it. And it came up to be the perfect thing that allowed me to do something that I will look back at my career and agency. And this was one of the top four things that I did. So that was great. You know, we were fortunate enough that, you know, the problem we have sometimes is nonprofit work can mm-hmm. kind of creep up on you and everyone wants it. So we never said we did it. We would just do some. So mm-hmm. we got to work for like the Malala Foundation, cool. uh, the Nature Conservancy. I think that's some stuff I'm really proud of that awesome. we were able to do. Launch brands like Shinola. So they're, you know, doing production in Detroit and, you know, you're creating jobs. I think that's important mm-hmm. that probably agencies and young people in agencies don't understand is like you're responsible of telling these this story to everybody else. So that not that they just buy a product, but mm-hmm. they support a product. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, you're creating jobs. So you have a lot on the line and, and there is a brand that trusts you in. And that, that, that's something that doesn't take lightly. So launching something like Shinola in Detroit, we took a lot of pride in. Yeah. And they were all fun. They were nice. And if they weren't nice to us, we fired them. You know, we have a history of firing our clients, which we had to do. And that's what kept our employees. They trusted us. Mm-hmm. I think also they need to understand the ramifications of those things. Right. Everyone wants to say, and we, you know, so we say, look, if we can fire this, I need to then the next two months have something to replace this, or we're going to have to let some of you go. What do you think we should do? Mm. Like, no, these, these people aren't treating us well and they're being unrealistic or, you know, they don't have good standards. So let's, let's do it. And I'm like, okay, let's work together. And what are we going to get to fix that? Wow. For our agency people out there who are a little scared to fire clients that aren't a great fit. How would you advise them as far as like determining when it's the right decision to make? Sure. Firing a client because they're not a right fit, right? Do they not fit your company culture? Are they disrespectful to you? Is it because you set up the wrong standards going into it? You know, Mm. were you overpromising and then they actually took advantage of that? Are they taking advantage of you because it's someone at a, you know, unfortunately, sometimes these brands have brand managers who just are trying to get everything out of you and you you haven't been strong enough. Right. So remember, before you fire someone, you can be a much more stronger, right? Mm-hmm. You, and you learn, right? The first time you get taken advantage of, you learn. Right. Change that. Make sure you go into the next pitch. Hey, this is how we're going to set this up. Mm-hmm. This, this, and this. Oh, you want change orders? This is what's going to cost you. This is what's going to do. And then firing it, you got to think about also how many employees are on it. Because if you don't fire a client, you know what happens? Your employees will leave. So what's the cost of replacing one of those? Right. Especially the best ones. Yeah. Okay. Cool. You gave us a bit of advice already for, you know, the agency side, but anyone who's starting out in social media or starting out their marketing career, what kind of advice can you give them? Hmm. Well, number one, I think that sometimes people reluctantly get into marketing. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to get into it, get into it. Mm-hmm. Number one, you should fall in love with it. And it's something worth falling in love in. It's exciting. Totally. There's people are paying you to tell great stories that the world gets to hear. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Look, people don't like marketing because they hate commercials. Oh, I hate commercials. Okay. How'd you get all that content? Did you pay for it? No, of course not. Okay. So commercials have allowed the world to give them entertainment and information and it's all because of a commercial. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. now you can buy products and maybe actually fit you better in life. 
okay. And once again, the other big thing I think is important is think how creative you get to be. Here's the real truth. I think this is what you take a look at. Look at your friends who work at a desk job. Nothing wrong with desk jobs, but if they're in the type of job where they don't get to be creative, it's like the brain muscle atrophies mm. and they become less creative. And by less creative, I mean, they become like less open to new ideas. And you could like see sometimes the people almost like, what are you doing on the weekends? Like, this is what I'm doing. And they don't have that idea. And you talk to people in the agency world, you know what the best part is? They're so open to new ideas. Nothing mm-hmm. is impossible. They're mm-hmm. like, well, we could do this. We could do that. I thought mm-hmm. of that. And they're open to it because their whole job is just kind of to be open to new ideas, express them and interact with them and see the value of them, see the value of other worlds and other products. That's what makes that truly great. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I would say is do your homework. Look at the history of how agency started, right? You mm-hmm. think it's old and it's a black and white picture and it's lame? <laughs> no. Yeah. And by the way, someone will respect you a hell of a lot more if you go in there and you actually know why this industry's happened. And you look back and you're like, oh, you mean Dr. Seuss was in, did 20 years worth of advertising and Jim Henson made his first Muppets to sell coffee and John Hughes, who made Ferris Bueller and Breakfast Club, actually did some awesome KFC campaigns. Like, oh, this has been a great place for this. Like understanding why this industry has happened, understanding, you know, the changes and in innovation that's really made. That's your number one thing. Mm-hmm. So I get it. You kind of know social, you kind of know marketing, you fall into a role, you kind of actually more love the product, get to know the history of it. And then just like anything, if you really love it, all this stuff naturally comes to you. Mm -hmm. You start getting opportunities because everyone wants to work with someone who loves and cares about what they're working on. Totally. Talent is just the passion that you put towards and you look at someone like, I'm really excited about this. And you can talk about the one little thing you're excited about. That's what always helped us a carrot. We'd go in there and we would geek out about one little tiny thing. Mm-hmm. And the client's like, why do you think that's important? I'm like, well, this is important because of this. And this can add a community layer and this can add this. And you just fixate on it. And that's what they said. Oh, you love what we're doing. You right. get it. Right. And that that's the number one step. I mean, it's storytelling, but mm-hmm. you have to fall in love. You have to understand the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. I think, so you've told us you started the first social media company mm-hmm. agency. You built it into one of the best mm-hmm. and uh, worked with some of your dream clients. How did the conversations with Vice start? So- you know, we started a company with 800 bucks. You grow it. You're accountable for every dollar. We never raised money. You get to a point where a couple holding companies came to offer to buy our company and they would shut down the, we had agency side, development side, really. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, we'll buy you. And then we'll shut down the development side, send it to India. I'm like, yeah, but having developers understand the platform is how we're clever and enabled to do it. And then there would be startups that would want to buy us for our dev team and then give her the agencies. And also everyone who ever tried to buy us brought me to like the Soho house and they were all like, you could have this. And they thought they were like super cool. They're like, you could have this. I'm like, Ugh. it was just such a weird way to try to pitch us. That's not who we mm. were. Yeah. And really what happened was Vice, uh, we had done a lot of work for media companies. So we'd done work for Netflix, NBC, MLB, and a whole bunch of uh, The Onion. We built BuzzFeed's first app, iPad app. And so Vice was pretty mad at us that we were helping all these other media companies, not them. We were also based in Brooklyn. And someone gave us a call. They're like, hey, what are you doing these days? You know, <laughs> And they said, we want to work on a project with you. And I'm like, okay, we talked about it. Like, well, you know, this is going to be cheap or whatever. I'm like, I'm not working on this with you. Like, well, you can't say no to us. I was like, well, I just did. I'm not working on this. This is, you're not, I'm not, you guys are cool, but I'm not paying for this. Or I'm not doing it for that price. So I'll see you guys later. And they were kind of like, what? And then like a year later, they kind of circled back and they're like, hey, we should talk again. And the nice thing was, instead of, you know, taking us to some trendy bar, they we went to a dive bar and had an honest conversation what we were trying to do. And at the time, we were actually, this is way before Apple TV had their apps. I thought the future was going to be more on app-based television. Mm. So I said, there's no reason that this doesn't happen and no one should get a TV channel and this is how you should be doing your work. And we were confident about it and we talked about where we thought the future was going and we, and we also were respectful brands. So mm-hmm. a lot of tech startups are like, well, you know, they look down on brands and brand advertising. I'm like, this is funneling and providing us with money to do this. Totally. Once again, we had gotten offers from a bunch of holding companies. We knew that was going to kill the company's soul. And uh, that then would have forced me to work in that company and try to maximize the money. And, and I just didn't think that was the right play. And Vice came along. And the other thing that coincided with all this is, you know, my partner and I had put all of our money, the little money we had into the company. And, you know, again, the point where you're like $700,000 a month that you have to come up with through mm-hmm. client work. That's a lot. And you could go bankrupt. And let's be blunt here with everyone here. Like you could go bankrupt very quickly. Mm -hmm. You lose one client, you lose two clients, you lose two good people. You know, you make a mistake. That could all happen. And it was at the same time that my wife was uh, pregnant with our first child. And, uh, you know, we were talking to Vice and things were going good. And then what ended up happening is we got the offer letter 
38 minutes before my son was born. So I have the email, I'm like in the hospital and my wife is in labor and I get the email from the president of Vice. It was like, hey, you know, we want to buy the company, blah, blah, blah. Here, here's the term. And I wrote back, I'm like, thank you so much. I'll get back to you tomorrow. My wife is in labor. So I've included, and he's like, get back to your wife, you idiot. Right. And yeah. so the nice thing was, you know, I'm like screaming at the phone. I'm like, yes. You know, and thinking like I just rode the fact that like we were never saving money and uh, my son was born and then you hold your kid in your arm and you're like, oh, this is what matters. Mm -hmm. And of course you want to build a family in your agency, but that doesn't matter. Totally. They're going to leave, which is great. They're not family, they're friends. Right. Your kid is your family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden that changes your perspective. I'm like, this is what matters. Because that really kind of inspired me. And I was the majority shareholder of the company, my partner and I, you know, so it was our decision if we wanted to do or not. We had given some equity to our, some of our employees, but it was really up to us. We sat down, we thought, you know, we want to take some chips off the table, but more importantly, Vice was something we believed in. These mm -hmm. were great. I mean, we were storytellers at the heart of what we were doing. You know, I'm a pretty, maybe more of a libertarian type person of, of, of believing we should get the information out there and, and let people make their decision. And we thought that that was a fight worth fighting for. I'd rather do that than sell my company to a holding company where they're just going to try to get 30% margin out of me so that it can be publicly traded. I would rather build a company. And, and so, and also on the development side, we were able to help Vice, you know, was building great dev product. And also for, it was really at the forefront. Once again, we were of branded integration, how brands actually interact with media companies. So it was a great opportunity for us. And uh, we sold the company at the end of 2013. Cool. I gotta say your wife sounds like a hero. She is. Like She's my hero. She married you after you bringing in like tons of people from the agency as you're moving into your office, people showering in your place, you know, and then she, uh, her and I met when we were 12. Wow. Crazy. First boyfriend, girlfriend, and last. There was some in the middle. That's always weird to say on special <laughs> radio. Um, and she actually introduced me to Chris, my business partner. She was the one who gave kids tours around school. So she met him junior year and told me, he's like, hey, Mike, this kid likes computers. You should probably talk to him. And he likes Star Wars and he's get beat up. So you should probably talk to him. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the nice thing is, and this is a huge part. Yeah, my wife's my hero. My wife's also the mother of my children. So, I mean, yeah. you can't gain more of a hero than that. But the truth is, and I have to be careful, and I also say this to any agency owner, and I really admire what both of you do, but it's also very tough because living the entrepreneurial life, that's a huge bet, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of times people don't give enough credit to the spouse and the partner, and that's the thing you need to take care of the most. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate since I've known this person my whole life, since I was a kid, I knew her family. They knew me. So it wasn't like this, we dated later on, you know, we didn't date and first meet at 25 and you really don't know right. who the person is. You know who the roots of who I was, what I stood for and- also that when I said I was going to do something, I ended up doing it, you know, I had, and that's where your character of who you are in your life kind of comes into play. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I was very fortunate that I had a great partner. I would not have been able to do this without her. There's of course no questions about that. But we also looked at this as we knew this was a big bet for us in terms of, you know, she had a more of a corporate job and she was making a lot more money than I, I wasn't really making that much money. You put it back in the company. So she was making the money and, and we knew that if we did this and we did it right, you know, that we could have a lot of financial freedom and get the things that, you know, we kind of put on the back burner. We never did vacations. We never, you know, I think we slept on an air mattress for like eight months or something. It was like so ridiculous. Right. Um, and we just took a lot of risk and, and we both knew that if we believed in each other and she was a huge help that it would, uh, would pay off. Love it. So at the time when Carrot got acquired by Vice, did people think it was weird that a media company was acquiring like an agency? Yep. That was the best part. <laughs> nice. Right? Like part of it was like, that was also the year that everyone was like, Carrot, you're doing it. You're doing the right thing. I'm like, we just spent the last eight years where you're telling us we were stupid and doing it wrong. Yeah. And now everyone's like, yeah, you're finally doing it right. I'm like, right. oh man, I should be afraid. This is, I don't want to hear that because I don't believe, you know, like I, I don't mm -hmm. trust you people. So when we sold the vice, everyone's like, you're an idiot. I'm like, okay, well, this must, we must be doing something right here. Right. It was different. It was fun. And that was a big thing. Look, they acquire a company. We didn't have to lose a single employee. Mm -hmm. That was important to me. Looking back at it, I've now been more of an advisor to a whole lot of other agencies mm -hmm. and, and gone through it. And I didn't unfortunately have that advisor for myself. And I was like, look, you're going to lose some employees in any acquisition and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think I fought really hard for some people that end up just leaving anyway. Like, oh, I got a good job. I'm like, right. I just lost money, time and like stress to try to keep you keep and protect you. you. And you just like, <laughs> we're like, oh, look at this new shiny new job. I'm like, yeah. Um, so, you know, we got to keep all of our people. We got to keep our company brand, you know, which we knew was not going to be long lived. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we want to, the good news is that they were so unorganized and didn't know what they were doing that they couldn't integrate us, you know. So, mm. uh, Shane, the CEO of Vice also was like, well, Mike had the best integration of anyone, you know, like 
he should be in charge of some of that. And it was more like, I was like, yeah, that's because I didn't complain. You know, like right. I was just like willing to grind it out. Mm-hmm. You know, when, other, when we acquired other shops, the integrations might not have gone so smoothly and they were probably better at, at voicing some of their concerns. But, you know, Vice was going through massive growth, so mm-hmm. they needed to do that. So it wasn't that they didn't integrate because they didn't have time. They were growing, you know, from all different angles. So it was, it was difficult. So on that note, what kind of early impact did that have on this family culture that you had built at Carrot? In that integration. Sure, yeah. The nice thing was, at least for the first two years, they kind of left us alone. And we were making money, so we were hitting our marks and our goals. And it was an exciting time. And it was a really good outlet too. You know, all of a sudden we had a problem for everyone else. You're an independent, right? Who's backing you up? Mm-hmm. Who's got your back? Who can make a phone call and say, this isn't right? So to have Vice be our backup as an older brother was, I think, very uh, beneficial to us. Mm. Of course, the more they integrated in, the more that our culture had to change. I think we were more like a happy-go-lucky. If you looked at our stuff, we were kind of like a little bit more cartoony, which really wasn't wasn't vice. But, you know, all of our people got along because, once again, we were also this passionate group of people who were in search of something. So, our two companies, the people got along great. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the when you think of vice, a little bit more edgy and you thought of carrot, we were a little bit more happy-go-lucky. Just that branding part didn't work. The people mm. worked, but the branding part didn't work. During your time at Vice, I remember you talking about how unfollows were one of the most important engagement metrics that you tracked to understand how content was doing or how customers were engaging with the marketing or the campaigns that you're putting out there. Can you unpack that for us a bit and then sure. also comment on today in 2019, what would you say are the most important metrics to track as far sure. as marketing so, success? I think you're taking from a quote where I said as the when I was the chief digital officer at Vice. Mm-hmm. So once again, after acquisition, I became the chief digital officer at Vice and really for more of the revenue source that we were working on at Vice since I had the agency that was bringing revenue and and a lot of other connections. What I thought as everyone else was following all these other metrics, they were trying to go for views or followers. I mean, those are vanity metrics, which Mm -hmm. are needed, but vanity metrics. For me, it was how many people unfollow us on every post that we have. That was the only thing I cared about. Like if you saw a spike on a certain post that meant you were doing it wrong and you've upset the person. You've upset the balance of what they're willing to accept for maybe ad noise content ratio or that you've now reached a tipping point and this was it. This was the straw that broke the camel's back or they're just like, why am I even getting this? So to me, that was the most important because you've now hurt your trust in your relationship with a viewer that you've worked pretty hard to get. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, there's always going to be unfollows. There's always going to be, you know, people unfriend or or Mm -hmm. who unsubscribe, you know, but you got to take a look at where the peaks are and look back. Why did that happen? Right. Yeah, that's good. And then what about now? In 2019, what what do you think is the most important for social media agencies or even just marketing agencies? What should they track to know how it's landing? Well, the best thing now is you can track is actually sales, right? (laughs) True. So (laughs) we love that. Unfortunately, that's the only thing that matters, right? Is is the sales matter, you know, first and foremost, that's something you can track, which is exciting. And then I would say, I think track how many people talk about your brand in a positive way and insert it into their little culture and everything else. That's a harder thing to track. But like, Mm -hmm. I know brands out there where people get tattoos of the brand. Right. That one wins. Totally. You know, like when you have social commentary and people care about it and they bat for you, that wins. Now it's for any social agency right now, it is a tough time because anything you say that's not funny, everyone is so upset with and they go crazy. And it's like, unfortunately, I think we have a little bit of a time where everyone's just going to go crazy about everything that everyone says. So I think it's hard because especially now brands are, you know, right when they start getting comfortable, actually kind of being funny and having fun. Now everyone's Mm -hmm. like kind of retreating a little bit. So I think that's much more difficult time than we ever had to deal with. Yeah. So I understand you know the ins and outs of agency life better than a lot of people because you've gone from starting an agency from scratch to selling it. Would you subscribe to the idea that the agency model is broken? You know what the beautiful thing about the agency model is that it is actually built to always be evolving, Hmm. right? Traditional hold co agencies, it's not that they're broken because once again, all these people bring billions of dollars, right? right? Mm -hmm. It's not sustainable. Hmm. So it's not broken now. It is going to break. You know, this is a classic example of like not changing the oil, you know, in your in your car, rotating right. the tires. Like it's not broken. It will mm-hmm. break. That's not a healthy trend. And I mean, I think that's why I'm here in Calgary because this is the headquarters of Camino. And mm-hmm. uh, that's now what I'm after leaving Vice and enjoying family and having fun. And the real thing that I'm doing now is I love the agency world. I want to help other agencies. And uh, one of the best agency owners I met was named Ryan Gill, who founded a company called Communo, which is really a platform to help agencies really connect. And throughout my entire career, what I saw was I didn't look at other agencies as competition. Going back to that you know moment where I looked at an employee and go, 
why am I pushing this person away? Mm -hmm. And I looked at all the independent agencies. I'm like, we might compete for the same thing, but it doesn't matter because it's us. We're in it against everyone else. The holding companies are trying to destroy us and take all of our, our stuff. The brands are sitting there always being like, I want you to be more transparent, more efficient, lower cost. I don't even know what I'm talking about. And I don't hold me accountable for anything, right? And you're like, okay. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Deloitte's of the world and the consultancies are coming in. They're just being like, listen, we really don't respect what you do in creative, but we're going to tell you what's really efficient. And our internal, you know, consulting firm told us that we should buy agencies and take that budget. So we're being attacked by everybody. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so independent agencies agencies, which are crucial, right, to really great creative fun and the most, you know, people are having an enjoyable time who are building their career, who are following their passion. There's really no advocate for them. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why I think Communo is. Yeah. It's a simple platform and we have so much that we're building. I'm so proud to be part of it. Going back after spending a year out of it, you know, being in media and all this other high rise companies and investing in, and all stuff. I look back and I'm like, wow, I really appreciated my time as watching those agencies. I, I loved helping a little agency in Boston called One Mighty Roar, then build a product, you know, called Robin Powered, helping the people, like you said, Jen Rubio or Katina and looking back and saying, wow, Dr. Seuss came from an agency, right? Like mm -hmm. right. there's a lot of creative good that can happen, right? It's not just the agency that you have. It's actually independent small agencies are the lifeblood to so much creative goodness. Mm -hmm. How do we keep that going? And in an age where Holding companies existed in the 80s as financial models, but really to allow for scale, collaboration, that's what they preached. Everything that they preached is what the internet can do now. Right. And instead of us buying your agency and owning it, I want to be the reverse holding company. Like, I want you to do well. I want to encourage you to do well. You have to buy in. Here's a subscription cost to buy in. But guess what? Together, we're going to build a really great future. We're going to have people who are like-minded like you that want to help you grow. That's the future. Mm -hmm. So... The agency model is going to change. There will be people who will be changing with it. There will people who will be avoiding it till their car breaks down. That's fine. Camino is without a doubt the future, right? And we're not the future here to be the biggest holding company. We're here to take care of everybody. So we're doing it for the right reasons. And we're building a structure that will last. You know, we're also having our... The fun thing is it is a startup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have our ups and downs. We have our things that work and don't work. And we're trying to make things better. But the nice thing is it's, it's the same feeling... When you're sitting around a group of people who are all excited about wanting to help other people. Totally. So that's why, you know, I live in New York, but I fly back and forth to Calgary because there's something special here that's happening. And it means a lot to me to have the opportunity to do that. I think we have a very exciting team. I know you guys are members, which I mm -hmm. appreciate. And I look at what, what you're all doing and it's an exciting thing, what you're trying to tackle in this podcast alone is you're trying to give back to the community. Mm -hmm. How fortunate is that? That I mean, that's the truth, right? Because yeah. You're going to sit there and you're going through heartaches yourselves. Now it's a little bit more acceptable to talk about those things. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get information about how you can grow, but you're trying to help other people from the past. And I think that's very admirable. So I appreciate you doing that. I wish, you know, one of the problems about being, even when we were on the first, the problem was there was no one else there. Right. So we didn't get to have that. So I'm hoping totally. going back to the woman who gave me my first office, who gave me my chairs and tables, I'm hoping I can provide like a little bit of that audio chair and table moment to someone else because you're not alone. There's other agencies that care about you. There's other people been there and they want to be there for you. So open up, you know, ask for that help and, and try to be part of that membership and, and give back. And when it's your time and you are successful, I hope you remember that and give it back as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what really drew us to Camino in the first place was just how it kind of was a rebellion against like the huge holding companies or full service agencies. And it allowed us to all just choose to stay small, you mm -hmm. know, to specialize, to be really good at a couple things. And then together we can just bid on the big fish without being big, you mm -hmm. know? And if you think about it, how much more fun you're going to have doing that. Exactly. And, and I, I say this, looking back at my life, right? The people that I am the friendliest with, had the best relationships with, are fellow agency owners and people who worked at agencies. Not just my own, other ones. Because we get to know, you get to work on the great things together. Right. Yeah. There's this like Wu-Tang type of experience where yeah. it's like, look, let's all come together. We're from different parts. And you know what's more exciting? Don't just build an agency where you do everything. Right. It's so much cooler to work with people who specialize in something mm -hmm. because they know it mm -hmm. and they know everything about it and they have their own little culture and they have their own way of doing things. It's so much more exciting. I get so much more joy from that. And financially, let me, by the way, you'll make more money, mm -hmm. right? You get to you know, you circle the wagons a little bit in terms of like, you know, if there's five agencies or five groups or, or freelancers together, you protect yourselves. 
And then on top of it, you're going to learn so much more and produce better work. Right. And make more money, not just now, but in the future. Once mm-hmm. again, I'm still making money on investments that I made on other agencies. Still to this day, I'm still making return on helping other agencies out 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I know sometimes you, you, when you're small, you have to look at the, right now the financial transactions, but there's a much more long-term benefit that it's hard to correlate. And sometimes some of it's private. You don't want to share with people, you know, of how you got there, mm-hmm. yeah. but it all stems from knowing when these people are following this creative passion because the same people are at agencies who are trying to do this. Mm -hmm. They have something about them, Mm -hmm. right? And it might not be what they build now. They might end up selling luggage, you know, uh, down the road or something else. But it's a real great incubator for those types of people that you want to be around. So we've kind of alluded to who Communo is for Mm -hmm. in a roundabout way. But can you just say blatantly who Communo is for and why they should join? Sure. So once again, Communo is a subscription-based network where we help freelancers, and small, medium, and large agencies, they're able to give and get work. So it's a great community for when you're looking for people who you want to pitch with or you've won work. There's no brands allowed. Let me stress that again. Unlike everybody else, there's no brands allowed nice. because we know what they're going to do if they get in. Wreck and it. second, right, right. <laughs> it's like a, when a cat walks into a room full of dogs, everyone's like, what's yeah. going on? Yeah. And number two, it's a subscription base. I think this is important. Let me just phrases. Other sites that might say, hey, look, we'll post work and take commission on it. That's your money. I'm not taking that from you. Now, subscription means that you are invested in this and we're using that money to build out so many bigger things to help the community. And really, I think what we are is we're now going to be the advocacy arm for the independents. There's a huge opportunity for us. So that subscription is not just your entry fee, right? We're using this to build out more information, provide more services, provide more partners. Mm-hmm. So really what we, I think of the vision of what we think of this company is we have a great group now. And once again, this started right here in Calgary in mm-hmm. Canada, which is exciting. Uh, now, you know, we're growing, we, we're opening uh, our locations in New York and LA, really trying to get more of the, the US market. So we were uh, for the last year and a half, have great testing here in Canada for what I think is a much better population that's nicer to you. And <laughs> and, and as a New Yorker, I can say this, you know, mm-hmm. uh, those, those crazy Americans. But now we're trying to really roll it out and find people who are specialists in what they do. So it's a network of people who are talented, everything from UX design to copy to PR to, you know, VR. I mean, every type of specialty you can find in the marketing world. We want them on our platform. We want the best people. More importantly, I want to say is we want people who are thankful for the careers that they have, want to help others and are good people. If you're a jerk, you know, we're going to kick you off the platform, right? That's so true. I've seen that. Like not people get kicked off Mm -hmm. necessarily, but just the ones that are a good fit are obvious and the ones that aren't are obvious, mm-hmm. you know? Life's too short to work with crappy partners. Yeah. You know, like, and, and you know what, going back to, I look at it, and this is my personal vision, but I would have paid a premium to work with partners who I knew I enjoyed working with and who were good people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't get to see that. Mm-hmm. But when the going gets tough, who do you really want to have on? You know, and that's almost an insurance policy. So if we're trying to vet the network of people who care about those things, so you can't just fly by night, you know, jump on, try to do work, you know, go someone, not be a good partner, yeah. you know, not treat people with respect. That's not the platform we're trying to build. There's enough people out there trying to do good work. And we're really advocating for not just, you know, the good guys and good girls of the world, but like, you know, we're trying to advocate for people. We're trying to do it in a positive way mm-hmm. and build that right community for it. Love it. Okay. Our last and final question is, and we ask everyone on mm-hmm. the show this question, what are brands that you're following right now that are making waves online? And I can't be biased about any of the investments I have, right? So I have to be... <laughs> Feel free to be biased. Well, okay. if you really truly believe they are. Of course I do, <laughs> but, but that's because I'm drinking my own Kool-Aid. Okay, brands that are doing great things online. Oh, I should have totally researched this before I, I got in here. Because now I'm getting like that deer in headlights moment where I'm like, I love all the brands. <laughs> it's okay. We can, um, well, we can I would personally pause. say that Away is... Yes, what do you care about? I want to know what you care about. <laughs> I love Away. I love Jen Rubio. I've heard her interviews. She's doing an amazing job. I love the way she talks about brand. And she like tapped into a market that no one was really selling to. So I thought that was really cool. Well, I'm happy, I'm happy to hear that. And like I'm getting goosebumps from that because the truth is she is great. Her business partner's great. Mm-hmm. They're building a great company. And they look, they found something they were passionate about and really mm-hmm. tapped into it. So it's not just on a suitcase, right? You're, yeah. selling, you're saying, I care about travel. This is something I value. It's important to discover and meet new people. Mm-hmm. I mean, a way's killing it. And once again, I want to point out, 
The biggest problem about being an investor in a way is that everyone then emails me asking for jobs. So I want to tell everyone right now, I cannot get you a job. And I would just flat out like I get texts like, hey, by the way, I heard you know Jen. Can you ask Jen about this job? I'm like, listen. And such a good, if anything, it's a good sign of the health of the company mm -hmm. that everybody wants to work there, which totally. is great. But let's also point out that Jen was a great marketer. Mm -hmm. So she understood that. She understood those dynamics. You know, she had a great passion for a product. Her partner has a great knows how to do the operational side, you know? And so for also the people listening, when you're the people who are in marketing, it is such an enormous opportunity. If you want to launch your own product, I think you should spend a couple of years in an agency mm -hmm. and learn actually what those product values are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, and how hard it is to earn a customer's dollar. Like right. some people underestimate and that what process. what it really costs mm -hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. The nice thing was these are like boot camps for you to understand that. So the same way that investors, you know, I think that investors are going to start valuing people who've been at the brands. And now look, all the brands that are going direct, how exciting is that? Mm -hmm. Right. I love it. That's an awesome opportunity. And yeah. and they're the ones that are building these relationships. So that's pretty exciting. I'll be biased and I'll say away. Mm -hmm. nice. My answer to Great I like answer. Your answer. Great. There yeah. you go. Cool. Well, uh, this is your opportunity for any last comments. And then we also just want to know where our listeners can connect with you. Great. Once again, thank you for what you're doing. This is, I know this is season one. I like being on the ground floor thing. So I'm pretty <laughs> proud to be on the ground floor of this. So I appreciate the invite. Continue to watch what you guys are doing. But when it comes to me, my name is Mike Germano. You can find me on Twitter and Mike Germano. You can find me on Facebook at Mike Germano. You can find me on Instagram at Mike Germano. Uh, but most importantly, you can find me on Camino if you're a member, yes. um, which I will, I will answer a lot more of those questions. But I've always helped agencies. I always will. So if you ever have questions, I like to be a little bit of an entrepreneur agency therapist, so you can always reach out. But we're really trying to build that over at Communo, so please do that. Thank you guys so very much for giving me this opportunity. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah, Absolutely. so glad you could join us, man. Absolutely. Appreciate Good it. Good luck. Awesome. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Wave Social Podcast is powered by Arcade Studios. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at wavesocialpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you've got questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, hit us up at wavesocial on Instagram. Thanks for joining us.